This is uh, also a chance for you to get ready for uh, God's, God's Word. Grab your Bibles. We are, I believe this is week 11, is that correct, Todd? Yep. Week 11 in Acts. This is a 68-some-week series through the book of Acts, taking our leisure time of walking through and enjoying God's Word. We are going to be starting this morning. We did chapter 4, finished up chapter 4, but we're going to go to the very end because context is king, understanding what Scripture has to say. We just don't jump around haphazardly, but we, we start our Scripture by understanding where we have been. Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to start at verse 32, page 912 in the Pew Bible, if you will. 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but that they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and the great and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as so many were owners of lands or, or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of, the, of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Barnabas, who was also called by the apostles, uh, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. I love this. Apparently it wasn't the time of Twitter or Facebook or telephones. Three hours later, she comes in. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we take another offering real quick? Because I don't want to do a funeral this morning. Hypocrisy. The deadly sin of hypocrisy. If you have been around the church long enough, you have, you have experienced hypocrisy. You have seen church leaders rise and fall. You have seen it in your family lives. You've seen it in the business world. Do what I say and not what I do, right? That's kind of some of our parenting, parenting mantra. Listen, kids, you do what I say, but don't do what I do, okay? You understand? And that immediately kind of sets this idea of hypocrisy, that it's a natural thing, and it's okay. One of the books that I, I have read in preparation for this sermon is a book by David Kinnaman, and the book is called Unchristian. And this is what he had to say. And the premise of the book is, what are some of the things that in this, this age that we now live in, that people are seeing about the church that just turns them off to Christianity? In fact, they would even say that the church itself is unchristian. Hypocrisy was the number one. And this is what David Kinnaman said. Whether you like it or not, the term hypocritical has been fused to young people's experience with Christianity. 85% of young outsiders, people outside of the church, not believers, have had sufficient exposure to Christians and churches that they conclude present-day Christianity is hypocritical. 85%. And as I have pointed out, negative perceptions also bleed into the perspective of young churchgoers half agreed that Christianity is hypocritical. So even within the church, nearly 50% of young adults in our church say the church is just absolutely hypocritical. 85% of those outside watching the life of the church look and say, Christians in general are absolutely liars. They're hypocritical. Look at their life. Look at what they say. Look at what they do. This is absolutely ridiculous. Why should I ever become a part of them? There is no truth about them. So hypocrisy, we can make jokes about do what I say, but not what I do. We can make jokes and say that's kind of humorous and we can, our kids, you know, we can tell them to do those things. But the reality is that hypocrisy is not humorous at all. There is no joking about it. In fact, as we see even here, hypocrisy is a deadly sin. Hip- hypocrisy of professing Christians has, has served as an, es- an excuse for many of us to disregard the claims of Christ, saying that the church is full of hypocrites. The hypocrisy of Christian leaders has caused many believers to stumble. I've seen it even in my past 10, 15 years of being a part of a, a local church where a leader has rose to the top, the very fast-growing church, and all of a sudden this leader is discovered has lead a, led a double life. And within months, the church has grown and it plummets. 
Over half of its membership disappears because of the hypocrisy within the church. But we have to understand that while Jesus was tender with many notorious sinners, he used absolute scathing language, scathing language to denounce those guilty of religious hypocrisy. The story of Ananias and Sapphira reminds us and warns us of the dangers of the sin of hypocrisy. For this couple in particular, it was literally a deadly sin. And some say that if God would deal with hypocrisy in the church today, as he did in that case, our churches would be nothing but morgues. Isn't that true? Missio Dei Church, we would be a, a morgue filled with dead people. Because we all lead hypocritical lives. Whether you want to admit it or not, to one degree or another, lesser or greater, we live hypocritical lives. The reality is that we weren't told about Ananias and Sapphira as whether they were true believers in Jesus Christ. Some argue that they were, some argue that they weren't. You know, how could a a true believer in Jesus Christ do these kind of things? So obviously they must be unbelievers, not truly believers in Christ. Others argue they are. Look at the context. Perhaps we're not told for sure because if we found out that they were not true Christians... We would just shrug it off and say, well, this, doesn't, this story doesn't apply to us today. Or if we believe that they were true Christians, we would say, well, thank God it was just a one-time occurrence. And if that would be true, we wouldn't even pause to ask ourselves, is my faith in Christ genuine? Do I need to deal with the sin of hypocrisy? In Acts chapter 4, we saw that the enemy was attacking the church from without. The Jewish leaders were persecuting the apostles and the believers. They were telling them, do not speak of this Jesus. Do not speak of this resurrection. If you do, there will be additional pressure coming your way. But in spite of this, despite all these threats... Their church was growing dramatically. There was a spirit of unity, of love, of harmony, of unusual generosity. Unusual generosity. And in this context, we are given a positive example of a godly man named Joseph. Later named Barnabas. And then we are given an example of this couple who puts on the mask of hypocrisy and were struck dead by God. This threat of subduction within is as much, is as subtle and dangerous as the opposition that the church experienced from the outside. The lesson that we are going to be focusing on this morning, our major theme this morning is this. Because we all because we all are prone to the deadly sin of hypocrisy. All. We should diligently pursue godly character. All of us. 
So here's the first thing. The reality is that we are all prone to the deadly sin of hypocrisy. And we need to be clear of the exact nature of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. Their, their sin was not that they sold their property and had given only part to the church. Some people would say that, well, their responsibility, they sold the property, they should have given all the proceeds to the church. That was not their sin. Because later on we see that uh, Peter, when questioning him, goes, you know, you owned it at one time. You know, you, you were kind of managing it. Also, at the end, you were managing how to use the resources. Now, why are you deceiving us? So the sin is not so much that they did not give it all. The sin was that they conspired together. They conspired together to deceive the apostles and the church into thinking that they were giving the entire amount. Everything that they could when in fact they kept a portion back for themselves. In other words, they were trying to impress everyone with a higher level of spirituality and commitment than they really had. Have you ever done that? Been trying to impress somebody else? And all of a sudden, another person comes in and you had no idea who you are anymore? Man, I am making up these stories because I want to impress these people. I want to tell them that I'm doing this and this. I'm doing it for the kingdom or I'm this kind of a neighbor. I'm this kind of person. I do these kind of... Look at me and all of a sudden you're going, who am I? I am putting on a mask of hypocrisy. So here's four things that we've got to note about hypocrisy. Number one, the seriousness of this sin. The seriousness of hypocrisy. Some liberal commentators are shocked at this sudden and severe punishment. Ananias is not even given a chance to repent. He speaks it. Peter says, are you serious? And what happens? He breathes his last breath and he's done. It is an absolute serious thing. And even his wife. It seems like Peter was setting her up for failure, right? Welcome, Sapphira. It's so great to see you. Tell me, was this the, the portion that the land was sold for? Oh, yes, this was the portion. Are you serious? Uh-huh. All right. Here are the people. They're going to take you out because you're going to die. It is an absolutely serious deal. But we need to view this sin in view of God's holy perspective. Not in our man-made views where we go, you know what? You know, we all screw up, right? You screw up, I screw up, you screw up, yeah. We'll pass by. We got to view this sin and every sin in view of God's holy perspective. Not from our world's relativistic. Jesus always hit hypocrisy hard. He held no punches when it came to the religious people of his day. Matthew 23, he pronounced many woes on, on the scribes and the Pharisees, whom he called hypocrites. He, called it, he warned his disciples to be, be aware of the leaven of these, uh, these Pharisees. This leaven, if you know anything about baking bread, you get a, bit, a little bit of yeast in it, and what happens? 
it starts to bubble, doesn't it? And it starts to grow. And Jesus is saying, beware of the leaven of the, these Pharisees because you know why? It's hypocrisy. It's only going to grow. This hypocrisy is going to grow. The leaven of hypocrisy will soon infect an entire church. The church of Laodicea. We looked at the church of Laodicea together. And they thought that everything was going great for them. They said, I am rich and I've become wealthy and I am in need of nothing. But the Lord's perspective was this from Revelation 3.17. For I... For you say, I am rich, you, I have prospered, and I need nothing. But realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Some ask, why did God deal with Ananias and Sapphira's uh, sin so severely when he doesn't do that with other hypocrites in the church today? Why doesn't God do that? Well, I, I believe it's probably because the church was in its infancy. It was just starting out. And he needed to set before us a sober lesson. A sober lesson of the seriousness of the sin among God's people. If you look in the, in the New Te or Old Testament, if you know anything about Achan, the same thing happens there. They come into the promised land. And immediately Achan wants to hoard some goods for himself. And God says, uh-uh. We are not starting off this way. So it was not just Achan that died. His entire family. Entire family. And everything that he stole was destroyed. The word church occurs in Acts in, in, in verse 11 out of 16 times. This word means an assembly or a, a congregation of people. And Luke wants us to know that the church should live in a holy fear of God, especially be on guard against the seriousness of sin, especially hypocrisy. We also need to know about the subjects of hypocrisy. This couple that fell into sin were professing Christian members of the church in Jerusalem. This means that we are all in danger of falling into this subtle sin. We are all in danger of this sin. We don't want other Christians or those outside the church to think that we have problems, do you? You know, we, we really put on our, I grew up in kind of a, a culture where, man, you dressed up on Sunday, Saturday night, you buffed your shoes to a high sheen, the cars were washed, even if you lived on a gravel road, we all came to town looking really nice and pretty. We don't want people to view us as having junk and problems. But there's a danger of that kind of a mentality. But we put on our spiritual mask when, when we're around others, even though we know and our family knows that we do not live what we profess. I would much rather be a part of a community that was honest, that had integrity, 
and said, you know what? My marriage sucks right now. It is absolutely difficult and painful, and I just don't know where to go. As opposed to a group of people that come in every Sunday morning like, I love this man. He's the best thing that has ever happened to me. I wish we could do this all over again. When in your heart you're going, I could kill him if I had anything sharp. These children, they are a blessing from the Lord, aren't they? I'd like to throw them into a burlap bag and throw them into the river. And that's what we kind of have this, this reality of, man, I feel this and I, I want them to believe this. I want to be a part of a community of people who are honest and real and filled with integrity. If, if a man struggles with pornography or sexual addiction of any sort, I want them to be honest and say, this is who I am. These are my struggles for the love of God. Would somebody come alongside of me instead of hiding in darkness? Women struggling with sexual issues or women struggling with gossip or, or body image or, or gossip. I would prefer that women be honest and say, this is what I am struggling with. For the love of God, would somebody come alongside me? Be my encouragement. But instead, we hide. And what does that do to our witness? It destroys the witness because the world and the church are watching. This year day, we are to be a safe place, an honest place, filled with integrity, where we don't hide behind our masks. Another thing that we need to note is the selfishness of hypocrisy. Motive is everything when it comes to this sin. If Ananias and Sapphira had sold their land and had told the apostles, man, we feel led to give half to the church, it would not have been a problem. In fact, uh, the law only says that we need to give a tenth. The apostles would have been, thank you. What a blessing. Their sin was the evil intent in their heart to make others think that they were more spiritual than they actually were. They were motivated by a love of self, not by the love of God and others. God, who always knows the motive of our hearts, judged them on the spot. Judged them on the spot. Hypocrisy is motivated by self-love. I don't want to give the perception. I love myself too much. I don't want to give the perception that I don't have my junk together. I don't want to give the perception that I don't have my walk with Christ together. So I, I love me enough that I'm going to lie. Lie to God who knows my hearts. Lie to my brothers and sisters in Christ because I love me. And I want them to think good of me. And if you're a parent, you know that kids have this radar about them. They can, they can smell hypocrisy a mile away. 
Dad, didn't you just say? Uh, shh, shh. We're in public now. We don't talk about that. And nothing turns kids away from the faith more quickly as hypocritical parents. Where they watch their parents say one thing on Sunday or do one thing on Sunday, but the rest of their lives is nothing but a lie. If, you, if they hear you put on a spiritual voice in certain circles, but in the other times during the day in their life, they, they hear another voice, their hearts turn hard. They will not be drawn to follow God, follow the God that you profess to follow. And that is why it is critical for parents to acknowledge their wrongs, their sins, and to ask for forgiveness. Those are some of the most tender moments for me as a parent when I have blown the anger valve. I don't know if any of you have ever done that. You have just, you, you, and everything just explodes. You just see red and you take it out on a child or another person. I've had that with Grace and Isaac. And the most tender moments is when you go back and you hold them and say, Daddy was wrong. I sinned. And I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? Turns from self-love to true love. We also have to realize about hypocrisy that it is, there is a short-sightedness of hypocrisy. And it's short-sighted in a multiple ways. One, it focuses on group dynamics instead of a personal reality with God. In other words, it, it's exciting. It was exciting for this, to be a part of this church in Jerusalem. It was growing. It started off with about 120 and immediately, they're at about 5,000 people. Talk about mega church overnight. This church was just exploding. Who would not want to be a part of this? They were meeting in Solomon's portico. They were meeting and hearing the teaching. They were witnessing healings. They were seeing lives being changed. They were seeing baptisms taking place. Whole family groups were coming to Christ. They were just, I want to be a part of this. The church had an unusual sense of unity and caring. I want to be a part of that. The apostles were seeing miraculous things. We saw the, the lame man who has been lame since birth, healed, walking. He's been lame for 40 years. And it is easy to get caught up in this group dynamic. And to ride on the bandwagon of what is happening, but lack a personal reality with God. I don't know if this was the reality for Ananias and Sapphira. I'd like to believe it was. That they got caught up in the excitement of the moment, of what was going on, and I want to be a part of all this. But they lost the, the personal reality with God. Understanding that it is his holy presence that they seek, not the communities. 
It's always excitement to be a part of a movement of God's Holy Spirit. It is a blast to be a part of a, I remember the years when we first started large worship here in this chapel at Manitoba, and the excitement of nearly 250 to 300 people packing out this place. Hot, sweaty, people crying, crying out to God. People say, there's one girl who came back a year or two later and said, did you preach this sermon called Go? I said, yes. Oh, I went to China. I'm going, praise be to God. It's fun to be a part of those things, but sometimes we get caught up in group excitement as opposed to being caught up with God himself. One of the main ways to avoid hypocrisy is to make sure that you are walking with God every day. Have you personally trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you spend time in his word, in prayer, on a regular basis? Do you deal with the sin in your own life, especially on the heart level? And especially when his word confronts you. If not, you have start, started faking it when you're with other Christians. That's just the reality. If these things are not going on on a personal level, more than likely you're putting on a great front already. And you're putting on a front that you're doing fine. Ray Steadman, a pastor out in California at Peninsula Bible Church, said this. The moment we start pretending to be what we really are not, death enters in. Because we are cut off from the vital reality of communion with Christ and his body, the church. We lose the reality of walking in the spirit. The moment we start pretending to be what we are not, death enters in. A spiritual death. To avoid hypocrisy, we must maintain a daily reality. A daily reality with the Lord. It's also short-sighted in that hypocrisy focus, focuses on what people think. And not what God thinks. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to look good. Wanted to look good in front of the apostles and the rest of the church. Barnabas had given up the total amount. Imagine that. Even in our market today, you sell your house for $150,000. And somebody comes in and you bring in the total amount in cash, not a cashier's check, but I got this, I saw, and you said it at the apostles' feet. Everybody is going, wow, what is going on? This is amazing. I want to be a part of that. Ananias and Sapphira want everybody to think highly of them as well. But sadly, they didn't stop to consider what the living God had to think. 
To avoid hypocrisy, you must live daily with the aim of pleasing God above everybody else. And that is a difficult thing in our culture, to please God above everybody else. The minute you start trying to look good to others without being concerned about what God thinks, you are in hypocrisy, living another life. The irony is that Peter and Barnabas later also fell into this sin. If you read on a little bit further, you will see that the church in Antioch was just growing. And Antioch kind of became this this hub of a church planting movement in their area. And the church was a very mixed racially group, Jews and Gentiles all worshiping together. And when Peter first visited there, he ate together with the Gentiles contrary to the Jewish customs. But when the Jewish circumcision party entered in, Peter withdrew. He withdrew and ate only with the Jews out of fear of what the other party would think. Peter's hypocrisy wrongly influenced Barnabas. Paul confronted him publicly, confronted his hypocrisy, and to 